0: Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. It means a lot to us that you've decided to make this service a part of your spiritual rhythm today. Whether you're live in the room with us, watching online, or at some point in the future. If you are just visiting, this is the kind of place that anyone can call home. If you are curious about church, this is a safe place to check out the claims of Jesus. It's a great place to have doubts and questions about spirituality. If you followed Christ your whole life, this is the kind of place that cares about your spiritual journey. We are committed to helping you grow. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your church home, or if you just have questions, please let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions in the resources section of our website. And now, let's join our service. Uh, I wasn't much of a daredevil as a kid. You know, one of those kids who keeps their mom on edge wondering uh, what it will be next. We've all heard stories about the antics of mostly boys who made it to adulthood by the skin of their teeth. That wasn't me. I didn't need to be a daredevil because I had a dad who was one, and he brought me along for the ride. So I grew up snowmobiling and skiing in the winter, camping and water skiing in the summer, uh, with lots of fun in between. And for several years, uh, a good, and what would now be a vintage, green Jeep was part of the fun. And with it, a Jeep club with 10 to 15 like-minded boys in adult bodies who got together on the weekends to push their Jeeps and themselves to the limits of extreme. In retrospect, I imagined that it was fun for all, most of the time, but we did have a few moments that I experienced with my eyes closed. And then there was the mud pit, smack dab in the middle of off-road in the woods. We'd probably still be stuck if we didn't have 10 to 15 other Jeeps with us. I don't know where we were in line, but enough Jeeps had already crossed the mud pit to make it more like quicksand than an overgrown mud puddle. Of course, getting into the mud wasn't the problem. Sinking down past the axles wasn't the problem. The problem was getting out, and it took a couple of hours. Like, have you ever been in a pit you couldn't get out of? Of course you have, we all have. That's why we're working our way through this series, how to get through whatever you're going through. We've all been in pits, financial pits, emotional pits, relational pits. And as we've discovered, there are some things in life that we can't avoid. We can't go around them, we can't bypass them, we can't go under or over, we just have to go through them. Nobody makes it through life without experiencing loss. So we're learning how to process the grief that comes with loss in an emotionally and spiritually healthy way. So we come out the other side, stronger, with deeper roots and more trust in Jesus. Uh, This morning, we're entering the second half of the series, which means that if you're joining us for the first time today, we probably should catch you up just a little. We've been looking at the six different stages or responses or phases to the losses we experience in life. Whether you lose your job or you lose your health, maybe you lose your spouse or another loved one to death, or maybe you lose your spouse to divorce. You might lose your innocence. You might lose your security. There's no end to the kinds of losses we experience. In the this past season, we've all lost... Whatever normal was to us. We've uh, looked at three of those six stages so far. Shock, sorrow, and struggle. Today we're going to look at surrender, and then in the next few weeks, sanctification and service. It's important to grasp that though we are describing them in a linear way, when life hits us up alongside the head, we don't experience them that way. It's not like you go through one, and that's it, you're on to the next one, and then you're done. You can bounce back and forth between these stages. You can experience them all in one day. Shock can hit you, followed by sorrow and struggle, and you come out of struggle only to find yourself in sorrow again. The good news is, that's normal. You're normal. At least about grief. Maybe a better word picture is that you spiral through these emotions, which means that when you experience a significant loss in life, you'll probably spiral through the six stages a few times as God reveals the layers of grief. But a healthy grieving process will eventually lift you up. On the other hand, an unhealthy grieving process looks more like this. And some of you have been circling the drain for too long now, and it's time to change directions. The bottom line is that when you are grieving your losses, you go through these stages in different ways, and when you hit the next big loss in your life, it will probably look different again, because no loss is the same, and you'll be a different person. So let's just refresh this whole thing in our minds. The first stage is shock. That's the typical reaction when we have a significant loss in our life. in, In shock, you feel numb. In shock, we talked about crying out to God and letting others help you. The normal response in shock is to withdraw from relationships. But in shock, you need people in your life. You need fellowship with others because you can't think straight. So you need people to think for you. You can't pray straight, so you need other people to pray for you. You can't even believe straight, so you need other people to believe for you. That's shock. The next uh, stage, next comes sorrow. And in sorrow, you move from feeling numb to feeling grief. Grief is a good thing. Grief is God's way of getting us through the transitions in life. As Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church, who gave us the framework for this series, says, there is no life without change, there is no change without loss, there is no loss without pain, and there is no pain without grief. We don't have any choice about change. It's going to happen. We also don't have any control over loss or pain, but we do get to choose whether we grieve or not. But choose wisely, because choosing not to grieve is unhealthy. Uh, Grief is a normal human emotion. It's part of what makes us in the image of God, because God grieves. Which means it's also not a sin to grieve. Jesus wept. If it is a good thing for God and Jesus to grieve, it is doubly good for us to do the same. You can't go around grief, you can only go through grief. Choosing not to grieve leaves you stuck on the wrong side of grief. Uh, The reason why so many people have so many problems in adulthood is because they have never grieved over the losses they experienced early on in life. They've just stuffed it, which leaves them stuck. When you stuff your grief... You're the only one who's going to get sick. You're the only one who continues to suffer. All kinds of bizarre behaviors, fears, anxieties, addictions, and even physical sickness find their root in ungrieved losses. You have to face it to move on. This is really hard for men, especially. We tend to be emotion averse. We don't like to feel. We're, we're afraid of our emotions, so we stuff them away because we don't want to deal with them. When you stuff your grief, your stomach keeps score. The only way out is through, through your grief. You can't deny it. So we talked about listing the losses you've never grieved and even taking a second look at the losses you think you have grieved because often God reveals loss in layers. We talked about going beyond the surface of the loss by examining what you really lost when that thing happened. And remember, a lot of grief is caused by more than just losing a loved one. You can lose a lot of things in life. You can lose your identity. You can lose your credibility. You can lose your health, a job, a dream, a home, money, respect, safety. Once you've identified what you've really lost, then you ask Jesus to heal your broken heart. And that brings us to struggle. In shock, you feel numb. In sorrow, you feel sad. In struggle, you feel angry, even if you don't call it that. You might be ticked off at God, angry that he let your loss happen. You might be frustrated, confused, disappointed, cynical. You want to know why. So last week we learned to lament. That's what the Bible calls a passionate prayer of complaint to God. And a good complaint a good lament has four components. We we use the, the acrostic care, C-A-R-E, to help us remember. Uh, complain, appeal, remind. And express. You've got to complain to God and tell him what you think is unfair. And then you appeal to God's nature. You're a good God, you're a loving God, so help me out here. And then you remind God of what he said. He loves it when we remind him of his promises. And then finally we express our total trust in God. Now, this is just an overview. If you missed any of the messages or today is your first time with us, you'll find all of the previous messages on our website, our YouTube channel, and our Facebook page. Now, we move on to surrender. If shock is numbness, sorrow is sadness, and struggle is angryness, the emotion that best describes surrender is peace. Surrender is the pathway to peace. As we discovered last week, surrender is the only way you are going to win a fight with God. And when you do surrender, God fills your life with great blessing. The hard part about finding peace through surrender is that you have to let go of the pain in your life. How do you let go of pain? How do you move on how do you move through your pain how do you get past it so you don't get stuck in it you probably know some people who are stuck in their pain you might even be there right now when you are stuck in your pain it defines you your divorce defines your life that job loss defines your life that abuse defines your life I've talked about this before, but the abuse I experienced in my younger years broke my love meter, which meant that I grew up trying to please people, trying to solve their problems so that they would love me. That's how I developed some passable skills at so many things. I was looking for love by fixing other people's problems, meeting their needs. Once I processed my grief in a healthy way, God fixed my love meter. Now I can help someone fix their problem, not to get them to like me or love me, but because I serve Jesus by serving them. My pain, my brokenness no longer defines me or controls my motives behind the scenes. It no longer defines me, I define it. And when it is useful, I'll pull it out of my fanny pack size baggage and then put it away again. And I've just done exactly that. So how do you get to the place where your pain doesn't define you, but you define it? Everybody experiences bad things. Bad things happen. When bad things happen, you have three choices. You can let it destroy you, you can let it define you, or you can let it develop you. You can let it destroy you, let it define you, or let it develop you. Surrender is the pathway to peace, and it is the gateway to creating beauty from the ashes. This is where you begin to let that bad thing, whatever it is, develop and grow you. It all begins with surrender. So let's look at one of the stories of David and and see if we can figure out how this works. I don't know what losses you've had in your life. I don't know what losses you or I will have in the days and years to come. But I hope we learn to respond to them like David. If you've got your Bible with you, turn or navigate to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12. While you are getting there, let me give you the backstory of this scene in David's life. David was the second king of Israel. As kings go, he had his priorities straight most of the time. He didn't act like all the other kings in the nations around him. Uh, In those days, kings didn't follow the law. They defined the law. What they said goes, went. Who they hated, died. What they wanted, they took. That was normal king behavior. David wasn't that kind of king. He knew that he didn't define the law. God did. And he was just as accountable to God's law as any other person, maybe even more so because of the authority entrusted to him. He feared God. He honored God. He loved God in God's ways. So much so that God himself described David as a man after God's own heart most of the time but Bathsheba really was a knockout (laughs) there she was sunbathing on the roof a roof that he could see from his balcony at the palace and yes she was Uriah's wife Uriah a faithful servant of the kingdom but she really looked good in a swimsuit so he invited her to the palace A few drinks later, she is pregnant. David's plan to make Uriah think it was his has failed. So David has Uriah murdered. You see, normal king behavior. He even made it look like an accident so no one would know. For a moment, he forgot about the big someone he spent most of his life devoted to. Now of course most of us are familiar with this story. God didn't let him get away with it. There are long-term unfortunate consequences of this indiscretion that will follow David the rest of his life, but there is also a short-term consequence. The baby will die. After delivering God's message of judgment to David, the prophet Nathan returns to his home, and as he travels, the baby gets sick with this deadly illness. Let's pick up the story there, beginning in verse 16. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. Now David is freaking out like any good dad. He is on the floor and begging and crying and weeping. He's fasting. He's praying to God. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Everybody's worried about him. The leaders of the kingdom are pleading with him to eat with them. They've probably got some papers that need to be signed and some decisions that need to be made as well. And this goes on for days. No food, no eating, just praying. And then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? And now, they're really worried about him. If this was how he responded to a sick child, what would he do when he learned the child had actually died? This could break him. They clearly haven't been let into the backstory. They don't know what David knows. Verse 19, when David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Now, that's the setup for what happens next. David faces great loss, and he knows it's his fault. He's the reason this child has died. He's been praying for days for God's mercy, and yet the baby died anyway. Have you ever prayed for something not to happen, and yet it happened anyway? Like us, David has a choice. He can let his grief destroy him, he can let it define him, or he can let it develop him. I think you know what he chooses. David does six things that show us how to let go of our pain and step into surrender. Six things that are the pathway to peace. First, accept what cannot be changed. That's the first thing David did, and it's the first thing we must do to be on the path to peace. The first step in surrender is I have to accept what what cannot be changed. When people receive bad news, what's their first response to it? I don't believe it. We we reject it. It can't be true. No, that's impossible. It's not real. Our minds reject shocking news, but slowly reality starts to set in, and you can't deny it anymore, and that's where surrender begins, with accepting reality. Now, here's what David did. Let's jump forward a couple of verses to verses 22 and 23. David replied to the leaders who were worried about him I fasted and wept while the child was alive for I said perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live but why should I fast when he is dead can I bring him back again no nothing is going to bring the child back again what is David doing he's accepting what can't be changed accepting doesn't mean you stop caring you do Accepting doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It does. Accepting doesn't even mean that you think what happened is good. It's not. None of that is acceptance. Acceptance simply means I can't change it. David said, My son has died. I can't change that. Maybe it's a job and you. You keep thinking they're going to call you back and give you another chance. Maybe it's some relationship uh, that's over and you just keep hoping they'll, they'll come back. It's over. Finito. Done. Maybe you just need to say it out loud. That season of my life is over. It's time to let go. For better or worse, the past is the past. Good things and bad things. They have seasons, and seasons pass, and then they aren't there. Some of you have had a dream that hasn't happened. It's over. Time to get a new dream, a new vision, a new goal for your life. That's the first step. Accept what can't be changed. And then maybe this will help you do that. The second step is to remember it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. When you're in the thick of grief, when you are experiencing devastating or catastrophic loss, it is normal to feel like this is the end. This is over. Nothing good will ever come of it. Everything is lost. David had a different viewpoint. As he experienced the loss of his son, he was able to focus on the hope of the future, believing that God wasn't finished verse 23 ends with this i will go to him one day but he cannot return to me david understood and accepted that his son would never be with him again on this earth but he was confident that the story was still being written he would be reunited with his child the the baby's death was not the end of the story That's not to say that there won't be moments of doubt. That's the nature of faith. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. The reality of what we hope for, not the reality of what we know for. If we know, it isn't faith. Faith leaves room for our doubt. There are things we cannot see, mysteries we cannot comprehend, things we don't know what to do with. So we pray in faith, help me in my unbelief. It's okay to pray like that. As K. Warren says, God is never content to let a single one of our stories end in ashes. He makes beautiful things out of ashes. Beautiful things out of our brokenness. Because the story is still being written. It isn't over yet. One of the most challenging transitions of grief is moving forward into the future instead of hanging around in the past. Jerry Sitzer, author of A Grace Disguised, lost his mother, his wife, and his four-year-old daughter in a car accident. He writes about moving into the future like this. How could I conceive of a future without them? The very thought was abhorrent to me. Whenever I thought of the future, I still found them there. They were never going to be there, which only made me more aware of how devastating my loss was. I remembered a past that included people I did not want to give up. And I imagined a future that excluded people that I desperately wanted to keep. Isn't that true? When you lose someone you've loved deeply, your memories of gatherings, traditions, special events, always include them. They are always there, an integral part of the yesterdays. And in the early stages of surrender, it is impossible to envision a future without that person because you don't know how to make memories without them. So what we do, if we're not careful, is we get stuck in the present. We get stuck in limbo because we don't want to leave the past because that's where our loved one was, and we can not envision a future where they're not there, so we stay in an uncomfortable limbo in the present. And then a nagging sensation of guilt begins to creep in because it's been six months. It's been a year. And you're beginning to breathe again, but as you think about moving into the future without that loved one, am I forgetting or neglecting? Whatever loss you are facing, this is a pretty common response to grief. I don't want a future without my loved one. In the devotional Jesus Calling, Sarah Young says this about the future. Your future looks uncertain and feels flimsy, even precarious. That is how it should be. Secret things belong to the Lord, and future things are secret things. When you try to figure out the future, you're grasping at things that are mine, Jesus says. This, like all forms of worry, is an act of rebellion. Doubting my promises to care for you. Whenever you find yourself worrying about the future, Jesus says, repent and turn to me and I will show you the next step forward. And the one after that. Relax and enjoy the journey in my presence, trusting me to open up the way as you go. You may be in a hard place right now, but your story isn't over. God is still writing the ending. The third step The third step we see in the story of David is that you need to take care of yourself. This might seem a little strange, but every one of these steps is an important part of the process if you want to experience the peace of God. Backing up to the first part of verse 20. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. David took a bath and changed his clothes experiencing deep grief and loss has a way of removing the desire to even take care of yourself but there is a solace that comes with the ordinariness of routine when you are in deep grief it can feel like life has just stopped around you you close into yourself who cares about a shower or shave or brushing your teeth or what's going on in the world or even eating can lose its appeal nothing tastes right Sleep can become a challenge, too much or too little, night after night or day after day. Even if you've never been in deep grief, you know what I'm talking about. Shock has a way of paralyzing us. Sorrow tends to overwhelm us. But in David, we see an example of what it looks like to respond. He accepted what couldn't change. He couldn't bring his child back. And because he knew this wasn't the end of the story and that each day that passed, was bringing him one day closer to the end of a story that would reunite him with his son, he was willing to live in the tension of both mourning and living. In that tension, he was going to keep moving forward. So he got up from the ground, and he began to take care of himself again. If we're going to go on living, we're going to have to to take care of ourselves. These are symbolic acts I doubt that his heart was really in a nice shower, although a nice hot shower can cure lots of ills. But these were symbolic acts that demonstrated his decision to go on living. And that's what we need to do if we want to live in that tension of grief and life. Which brings us up to step four: refocus on God through worship. Uh, verse 20 continues. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. Now, there are a couple of interesting verses in Psalm 73. Uh, This is a psalm written by Asaph, who was grieving the corruption of the rich and influential. And in verses 16 and 17 of this lament, he writes, So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked Uh, circle the first part of verse 17 then i went into your sanctuary and i finally understood david knew that worship can expand our spiritual insight and understanding so he headed for god's presence with his grief he knew that when we worship we begin to catch a glimpse of how god is moving and working in our loss How He's working in our world. When we come in humble surrender and adoration, we begin to get a picture of how He's working in our lives. But that's not how we normally respond, is it? The great temptation in grief is to turn away from God, not toward Him. It's to run from Him, not to Him, because one way or another, we hold Him responsible. If He has allowed this to happen— Even if he didn't orchestrate it like he did in this story with David, we're mad and angry and hurt and heartbroken. So we run. As we've learned, all of these emotions are okay, but they aren't healthy long-term responses. Somehow, long-term, we have to learn how to be in worship again. God doesn't abandon us in our anger or in our grief. He doesn't abandon us in our tears or in our doubts. That's just not the way he rolls, but these emotions have a way of clouding our judgment, of blocking our spiritual insight. They put a fog over reality. It's hard to recognize what God is at work at when we are lashing out at him, when we are completely devastated by sorrow. So David went to God's house, to the tabernacle, but don't get confused. It isn't about the place. It's about the presence. As great as this facility is, it isn't about you being physically present in a physical location. It's about you being physically, emotionally, and spiritually present in God's presence. For David, the tabernacle was the place he went because that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark was symbolic of the presence of God for the Israelites at that time. For us, for some, that might be sitting in the sun on a beach in the presence of God. Or maybe walking through the forest enjoying God's beauty in in nature. It could be here in a service. For me, it would be on the floor in front of my space heater. That's where I enjoy the presence of God most of the time. Find the place where you most often experience the presence of God. And bring your whole self there. And then maybe shut up and be still in the presence of the Lord. And after a while, run through everything in your life that you are thankful for. That's worship. We're all different people. We all connect with God in our own way. So do that. Find a safe place to scream and yell, shout and argue, question all you want, and then shut up for a while. Then worship in song or in spirit or with words, but worship. In worship, we move toward God. That's what David did. He refocused on God through worship. And then the the next thing he did was something productive. That's step number five. Do something productive. In every stage, in shock and sorrow and struggle, part of surrender is to do something productive. Don't let your situation paralyze you. You'll only get stuck. Say you go into work tomorrow and your boss calls you into the office and gives you a pink slip. Working for the man for 10 years, 20 years. Sorry, you're done. One moment you have a job, the next you don't. You're paralyzed and you can't even think of what to do next. With everything else going around you, you need to start moving. Maybe just a small, tiny step. One step at a time. Here's all of verse 20. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. After he worshiped, he returned to the palace and ate. Why did he go to the palace? Because he was the king. The palace is his place of productivity. It's the place he works. He's basically saying, I'm I'm going back to work. This is just a day after his baby died. Do you think his grief is over? (laughs) Of course not. You don't get over grief. You get through it, but you never get over it. So he is still grieving, still sad, still a tornado of emotions swirling around in his head and heart. You don't have to stop mourning to start moving. You just broke up with your boyfriend. You've had somebody walk out of your life. You had something happen to you that was devastating. You got bad news about your health or your spouse's health. Something's happened. What you need to do at this point is just take a step. The first step. Start moving. It requires faith, but start moving. So where do you need to take a baby step? A tiny little baby step of faith. What do you know you should be doing, but you've been paralyzed and haven't done anything about it? Take a step of faith. In order to get through grief, you need to move. David went back to the office, ate lunch, and then got down to business. What do you need to do? Do something productive. This is harder for those who don't have jobs or are retired and don't have something that takes them out of the house every day. So they sit at home surrounded by their grief. Maybe your first step is to just go somewhere, walk the mall, visit a friend, volunteer, do something productive. And then last, keep on loving even in your pain. Even in your pain, keep loving, keep on loving. The natural reaction when when you are hurt is to pull, pull into yourself, to withdraw from others, to build walls to protect yourself. I'm never gonna let a man hurt me again. I'm never gonna let a woman hurt me again. It's too painful. I just won't trust anybody. I'll engage everything but my heart. I gave everything to my last job and all I got was fired. I may have to work to pay the bills, but I'm not going to fully engage. Who needs friends anyway? It is natural to pull in, to protect yourself, to build walls instead of bridges. It doesn't take long in your relationship with God to figure out that he has a different approach to life. Loving others means that you will experience pain. Love equals pain. But don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of pain. Pain actually deepens your love. It makes you a more loving uh, person, not less when you let your pain develop you. It deepens you. The love that flows out of deep pain makes you even more fruitful. When you lose somebody you love, whether they move away, die, or reject you, it's heartbreaking. But don't build a wall around yourself. Keep on loving. When someone rejects your love, redirect it. There are lots of people in this world who need to be loved. Keep on loving in your pain. You've got to look at what you've got left, not what you've lost. So here's what David did. Uh, He went back and he loved his wife. Verse 24, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. And because David had the courage to love, the world has been blessed by Solomon's story. He became the wisest man in the world, the wealthiest man in the world. His kingdom eclipsed his father's. Because David had the courage to risk love again, to risk loss again. Jesus knows what it's like to love in the middle of pain. We call that the cross. He knows what it's like to keep on loving even when it hurts, even when your love is rejected, even when you are mad at him, yelling at him, turning our backs on him, he just keeps on loving. He's the only reason we know what real love is. Have the courage to keep on loving, even through your pain. This is the path to peace. It is the path of surrendering your hurts, surrendering your fears, surrendering your problems, even surrendering your hopes and dreams. God, I just, I give it all to you. I don't know what you might be grieving right now it might be something minor or maybe something major whatever it is whenever it is you will go through things in life and you need to be ready to walk the path of surrender that's the only way you'll ever find the peace that passes all understanding and as we'll see next week surrender leads to something beautiful sanctification Let's pray. Father, in these moments, I would guess that in this room and watching online, there are people who are in, who are processing various levels of grief and loss. Some who have been stuck for a very long time. Some who have, up to this point, allowed their grief to destroy or define them instead of develop them. May this be a new day. Maybe maybe this could be the day where surrender begins, where peace begins to fill our lives. And so, Father, even in these moments, I pray that you would speak to each one of us, that you would reveal that next baby step, maybe even going back a step and revealing an unprocessed loss that you need need to take care of. Father, reveal the next step and then give us the courage to take the steps. The perseverance to keep on moving toward a God who loves us and has a plan that we can trust in. God, we we talk about, as, as Christians, we talk about, we sing about, we We pray about giving you all of our hearts. May that be true of us. May we live lives of complete surrender. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Once again, thank you for joining us in worship today. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. Thank you for your financial support of our ministries. God does great things in people's lives because of your faithfulness. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, like, and share this service wherever you watch it. The message of Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. He is the best answer to all all of life's challenges. We'll see you next week. Go in the grace of God.